This episode is brought to you by Cosmos. Stay tuned for more information on them later in this episode. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, there was a particularly compelling talk at the Bitcoin conference in Miami that didn't focus on the history of money, the Lightning Network, Bitcoin, or the banks. It was about water. I learned that nearly one in 10 people worldwide live without clean water, about twice the size of the population of the US. This is heartbreaking. Today's guest has dedicated himself to solving this problem by reducing that number to zero through his organization, Charity Water. To help make clean water accessible to everyone, today's guest conceived the Bitcoin Water Trust. I personally donated one Bitcoin immediately after his speech and committed to becoming an advocate for the organization and a founding member of that trust. I can't wait for Scott Harrison, today's guest, to share his thoughts on the water crisis and how Bitcoin can help solve it. Scott, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and thank you for all that you do. Hey, Scott. Two Scots. This is fun. I know. We're like, we're like, this, we're like the Spider-Man meme, you know, pointing back and forth at each other. <laughs> so, we even have no, like, you know, the same kind of grizzle. I'm a lot grayer than you. Your, your hair looks a lot better. A lot of, <laughs> lot of grizzle, black shirts. It's the, uh, it's, the, it's the uniform for podcasting in the crypto space. And absolutely. So to get today's episode, I alluded to some of the numbers uh, in the intro. Yeah. I've actually heard up to 30, 40% of the world doesn't have clean water. Can you talk about how serious of a problem clean water is for the yeah. world. So kind of officially the UN uh, stat is that 785 million people, about one in 10 people, like you said, are drinking dirty contaminated water right now. Water that could kill them. Uh, it's killing children around the world. C kids are simply dying of diarrhea. And 82% of those people live in rural communities. So kind of think 18% cities and towns and, and slums and 82% in the, the more remote communities throughout Africa, throughout India, throughout Southeast Asia. And, you know, look, we, we think that number should be zero, right? And, you know, you mentioned we, we were at a Bitcoin conference, right? There's 10,000 plus people there. We're talking about, you know, the future of money and, and you know, like the future human beings, basic needs, right? It, it was a little existential, uh, mind-blowing, you know, coming out of pandemic to kind of the opulence and the exuberance and the party and the drinking and the, you know, the Ferraris and Lamborghinis are running down, you know, Miami streets and just thinking that while we still haven't provided the basic need for 10% of the world. So yeah, that's kind of where this idea was was formed. I've been at Charity Water now for 14 years. We've raised about uh, $550 million. So we, we've raised, you know, quite a bunch of money from a, a global community of donors that spans 150 countries. Uh, we have turned that money into access to clean water for 12.7 million people. So it's it's not nothing, you know, it's it's 700 stadiums full of people, but it kind of is nothing because it's 165th of the problem stop, 1.6% of the work that needs to be done and it's taken us a, a decade and a half to to get that that impact. So uh you know, I mean maybe just a, a second on water. I mean probably everybody listening to this Took it for granted, you know, this morning yeah. when, when you woke up, you, you made your coffee, you had your shower, you brushed your teeth, you know, your dishwasher's running, uh, you, you're, you're running a load of laundry. I mean, this is just something that we have and most of us have always had. But, you know, if you don't have clean water, it's a huge problem in your life. Uh, there's, you know, up to 50% of the sickness, according to some sources throughout the developing world is caused because of bad water. 
when I started out, I don't know the latest stat, but women just in Africa, Scott, were, were walking 40 billion collective hours. Okay. 40 billion hours to get water that's not even clean. So you talk about the time wasted. You know, I've, I've been to 69 countries now and you know, women will often tell me that they are walking seven hours a day, seven days a week to get water. So you just imagine lighting 50 hours of potentially productive time on fire, getting you know something that you obviously need, but that is not even beneficial to your family. So, you know, water impacts health and you know, education. I'm sure there's lots of people that are passionate about education. One out of three schools in the world doesn't have clean water. Imagine sending your kid, you know, to uh, to a school with no water, with no toilets, as well. And this is one of the top reasons teenage girls drop out of school because they're not going to a school with, with no water and sanitation facilities, because it's their role to go and get the water as, a, as an upcoming you know, woman in the family. So it's a huge problem. And the great thing is it's, a, it's also a solvable problem. So we're not looking for a, a cure for the water crisis in a lab uh, or through a vaccine or you know, some, some miracle drug. We know definitively how to help every human being alive. We just haven't done it. We haven't created the will to do it. We haven't built the movement, the awareness. We haven't allocated the capital to make this happen. So that's probably one of the most exciting things that keeps me going, you know, a decade and a half later is we know how to help the people get water and we haven't done enough. So how do you do that? Like, what are the brass tacks? Obviously, is it a well? Is it, uh, you know, some sort of cleansing of the water supply? What are, what are yeah. the methods that you actually yes and use yes. you go in? Yes and yes. So we, we're solution agnostic. So there's no one size fits all uh, water solution, right? There's no silver bullet. Um, we now employ about 14 different technologies across uh, 29 countries. And uh, it's as simple sometimes as a purifier, like you mentioned, a bio sand filter in Cambodia that would cost about $65. Uh, often it's a well. Uh, that costs about $12,000. And, you know, what the community doesn't have access to is the million dollar drilling rig, the compressors, the heavy machinery, the trucks, the skilled hydrogeologists that know how to find that water underground and make it useful. Um, but, you know, for the cost of $12,000, imagine giving 250 people a lasting source of clean water. You know, then we funded, you know, $1.7 million gravity fed systems with, with solar, uh, to connect networks of villages through pipes in Uganda and, and in um, uh, Madagascar and in Rwanda. So, you know, a lot of different things work. Sometimes you're cleaning water. Sometimes you're finding it underground. Sometimes you're harvesting the rain. Sometimes you're moving water. But again, we know how to do it. Is this a problem that's outpacing the solutions? I mean, obviously, it's a fixed number now, but we know the populations expand. So is, is that number getting greater or you actually feel like... Uh... Yeah, charities we're like yourself, organizations are making a dent. Yeah, we're making a, prog a dent. When I started uh, 15 years ago, the number was over a billion, 1.1 or 1.2 billion Huge on dense. a six billion world's population. Now we're down to 785 million on a seven billion plus world population. Um, I will say, COVID set a lot of these communities back, and uh, you know, there's, there's data coming out that's saying, you know, in some countries have lost 10 years of economic development gains just through this year. It was so traumatic, right? There's no government to print money uh, and, and keep people afloat with, with lifelines. 
uh, across many of these countries. So the, the support that many Americans or Europeans or you know, people throughout Asia have, have received is non-existent in, in the most marginalized places in the world. So yeah, I, I think that the, the best way to sum it up is we're not going fast enough. Uh, in, in a world awash in capital, uh, in a world where what $150 billion is sitting in donor advised funds for charitable purposes, not enough is going out and solving these real world problems. So why water for you? What, what's the background? When did you become passionate about it? Was there a, you know, a light bulb moment where you said, wow, this is the thing I want to dedicate my entire life to because you could obviously be doing a lot of other things. Yeah. Well, I was a club promoter for 10 years. So my first career couldn't look any different. Uh, well, I did, I was, I was selling liquid, but um, you know, I, I was raised <laughs> in a very conservative Christian family. My mom was an invalid growing up. I was an only child taking care of her, raised in the church, good kid, didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't have sex, didn't curse. And then at 18, bro, I went nuts. I moved to New York City and I did all of that. Uh, I, I worked at 40 different nightclubs over a, a decade, selling thousand dollar bottles of champagne, you know, spraying them from DJ booze, controlling the velvet roof, uh, you know, trying to date famous models and flying around to Paris and Milan and driving my BMW, flashing my Rolex watch. I mean, I was a total sycophant. Uh, I just became this kind of selfish, degenerate hedonist. And at 28 years old, I uh, maybe maybe no surprise half my body went numb unexplainably wow and uh you know my my business partner is like bro you've smoked two to three packs of cigarettes for 10 years you know you you come home at noon and take Ambien to go to sleep I mean you're no wonder your body is like just trying to tell you something and you know it was this wake-up call for me I wound up getting a bunch of tests and they couldn't find anything wrong with me uh, and, you know, I had this existential moment, like, what if I died? Like, you know, first of all, did I believe the, the faith stuff that I was brought up with, like in heaven and hell? And like, and if I did, I certainly would not be going to the heaven side after my behavior. And, and then I started thinking about like purpose and legacy and like, what would my tombstone read? My tombstone would read, here lies a guy who got a million people drunk and high. Full stop. Like there was nothing else. There was no positive impact or legacy. And, you know, I, I wound up writing a book. There, there's a lot more uh, to that kind of cathartic change. But, you know, to, to sum it up, I sold everything I owned at 28. I said, I'm going to start life over. Uh, I'm going to reimagine a completely different life of purpose and meaning. And I'm going to try to find my way back home to the lost spirituality, to the lost morality, and see if I could be useful. Uh, would any of my skills be useful? So that led me to a humanitarian uh, volunteer opportunity in post-war Liberia on a hospital ship. Now, I'd never heard of Liberia before, but it had just come out of a 14-year civil war led by a, a terrible uh, warlord named Charles Taylor. He put guns in the hands of kids, forced them to kill family members, and it was a horrible, horrible context. And I was going in with a group of doctors after the war ended to pick up the pieces. And, you know, interestingly, Scott, talking about the opposite of a life, I actually had to pay $500 a month just so that they would take me to volunteer. Yeah. So, you know, forget about selling, you know, $10,000 tables in nightclubs. Like I'm paying for the privilege of trying to be useful in service. 
And I was a pretty good photographer and a pretty good writer. So I became the photojournalist for this mission. And I saw so much, Scott. I mean, there was no electricity in the country. There was no running water in the country. There was no sewage in the country. And there was one doctor for every 50,000 people living in the country, but with no hospitals that had power. You know, in America, we have a doctor for every 180 of us, right? One of us is a doctor out of 180 people. So it was a broken country, a broken healthcare system. And, you know, I spent time in leprosy camps. Uh, I traveled with the doctors. I, I saw all myriad medical conditions. But then I saw a 13 year old girl drink from a swamp. And I had never seen human beings drink viscous contaminated water before. In fact, I had sold Voss water for $10 a bottle in nightclubs to people who would often just buy a bunch of water and leave it there. They wouldn't even open it. They drink champagne or vodka instead. And there was just something about water. You know, I learned half the country was drinking bad water and half the disease in the country and our doctors couldn't keep up. We were turning away thousands of people because more sick people would, would, would come to us than we had you know, doctors or availability or, or surgeons. So it was, it was a two year volunteer adventure from 28 to 30 where I learned that dirty water was the root cause of so much of the, the disease, the sickness, the suffering. And maybe rather than just treat the symptom, you know, could I work with the rest of my life to address the, the root cause. And that led me to, to water. And, and again, it's, it's just a simple thing. Like if you met me 15 years ago and I would have told you, I'm gonna try to bring clean drinking water to the world. And it's the same message, you know, a decade and a half later with a little progress made. It's an incredible story. And so I'm curious, you know, obviously being a crypto focused uh, podcast, where Bitcoin people are like, why am I listening to this guy? No, what does this have to do no, with? No, not not at all. And what they'll they'll be really interested to find that you were extremely early, right? And yeah. I know that you've been taking Bitcoin since 2014. It's just the nature of what yes. you do with it that's changing. So maybe just one word on on the org structure. So when I started Charity Water, I was 30. I didn't know any better. I had this big vision of what I wanted to do in the world, but I realized most of my friends were cynical and skeptical when it came to giving. And yeah, they're like, I don't give, it's just a black hole. I don't know where my money's gonna go. Probably all gets eaten up in, in overheads. And I, I came across uh, data, uh, USA Today did a poll that found 42% of Americans didn't trust charities. Right. And more recently, New York University did a study found 70% of Americans believe charities wasted their money, right? Wasted their money, like that. you have, you have one job, right? As a charity to turn the money into effective, impact. So I, I had this big idea. I'm like, well, I want those people to give. I want the Senate, the cynics, the skeptics. This is a big opportunity. So very simply, I opened up two separate bank accounts and said, I'm going to raise all of the overhead separately from a very small group of entrepreneurs and business leaders who get that need, right? For the staff salaries, for the costs, for the, the toner, for the Epson copy machine. And then in the other bank account, that's where all the public's money goes. And it's going to go straight to build these water projects 100% to directly help people get clean water. We're going to audit these. We're going to treat them like, uh, audit them separately, treat them like church and state. And we've done that for 15 years, uh, which has allowed millions of donors to give in the purest way. So that's then kind of led to this, this innovative, uh, you know, through line of charity water because we have a non-fungible business model. 
we could actually track a $6 donation to a well in Malawi that costs $11,924 and say, hey, Scott, you know, or, or your, your kid's $6 from the birthday party or from the bar mitzvah, the bar mitzvah went straight to this project in Malawi or India or Cambodia. So we were the first charity to just simply put all of our completed projects on Google Earth, proving where the money was going, proving that impact so people could see the satellite images. Um, we then took it a step farther, uh, putting trackers on our drilling rigs and putting our rigs on Twitter so people could see where the drilling rigs were in real time. Uh, recently, we've now been connecting our wells to the cloud. So we've got 7,000 connected villages where after we leave, after the well is built, four years later, we know exactly how much clean water is continuing to flow every single day. And when it breaks, uh, that sensor technology can inform maintenance calls. Uh, imagine like, you know, if Apple Care turned up in your village because they knew that you dropped your phone and shattered the glass and they were there to make that repair. So, you know, when, when uh, we, again, Bitcoin was really interesting to us. And uh, like you said, in 2014, we started taking Bitcoin. Tony Hawk uh, came to one of our events. He's a good friend of mine. He's, he's come to Ethiopia with me and has, has funded uh, water projects in the name of his, of his daughter. Uh, and, you know, he was at a gala and he raised his hand and he gave 1500 bucks at some sort of ask. And he paid the $1,500 in Bitcoin. So we sold his Bitcoin for $312 each. And that's what charities do. So right, just the best practice, anything you give me, right? Whether you give me Apple stock or Tesla or, you know, or, you know, a piece of land in Florida, you know, a condo in Miami, I'm going to try to sell it and put that, me that money, fiat, uh, immediately to work for the mission. So this is just the best practice of the industry since the beginning of time, um, which is just to take in assets, you know, give out a tax receipt. So uh, long story short, we took in a lot of Bitcoin, Scott. We took in 569 Bitcoin. And we sold them all for exactly 4.4 million. Okay. And, and, and I'm not saying that's no impact. That, that's enough to help 110,000 people get clean water. Okay. So you know, people that are out there saying Bitcoin is completely useless, has no utility, you know, why is it using all this energy if it's, okay, well, we have already used Bitcoin to fill up five stadiums worth of people who now have clean and safe drinking water. And that. that was kind of the past model. So, you know, the more I learned about the technology, the more I started to meet people uh, like yourself, influencers in, in the space, you know, I, I learned that, uh, a lot of people would never give a charity a Bitcoin knowing it was going to be immediately turned to fiat um, because people were holding, they were hodling uh, their, their Bitcoin because they believed this was a store of value. They believed that this was going to increase in value significantly over time. So, you know, the big question was, could we, could we take a big swing? Could we break from the norm? Uh, could we offer a paradigm shift or an alternative and say, hey, look, we do want your Bitcoin as donations, but instead of selling them right now for 36,000 or 39,000 or 31,000 or wherever, we're actually gonna hodl them for a full cycle until at least 2025. And we're gonna let your Bitcoin appreciate over time. So, you know, it was a simple idea, right? A, a charitable hodl fund where we get past the next happening in, in May, 2024. And I believe 
you know, in other words, we take this short-term volatility out of it. You know, should we have sold at 39? Should we have sold at 41 or 36 or 31? That's not how people think about this asset. So it was really a, a way of saying, hey, we believe too. Um, will you give us some Bitcoin now and trust us to let it appreciate over time? And, you know, we came up with this idea of looking for 100 people to do one Bitcoin. Uh, Cameron and Tyler at, uh, at Gemini said they would match the first 50, um, which is, again, a significant, you know, donation, 50 Bitcoin. And, you know, so far, uh, thanks to your generosity, a bunch of others, we're at 49 founding members uh, that have committed. So we're one Bitcoin committed away from unlocking that 50 match. And then we're going to have 100, uh, you know, within the next week, uh, hopefully. And that's significant. And then right now, that's enough to get 100,000 people clean water. But in 2025... Uh, I believe it's going to get a lot more than 100,000 people access to clean water. Guys, this is so cool. For the first time in history, rather than a company or project sponsoring the podcast and newsletter, a grassroots community is doing it. The Cosmos community is extremely passionate and active, and because of that, cool things like this sponsorship can happen. Their Atom token has been absolutely on fire and solidified itself as a top 50 coin by market cap, and the Cosmos platform has so much in store. Now, if you don't know about them, Cosmos is effectively the port city connecting chains like Bitcoin and Ethereum to ensure your liquidity on any chain can be used anywhere. One of the things I'm most excited about is their new DEX, which is coming out, which will connect to any blockchain. So you can swap ETH, ERC20, BSC, or any other token with Atom plus this DEX will have order books just like any centralized exchange, so it'll feel familiar trading just like you do anywhere that you've traded before. This is a first, it's never existed until now. You need to absolutely check them out at thewolfofallstreets.link slash cosmos, C-O-S-M-O-S, and see everything they have going on. I mean, personally, when I heard about it, I immediately was excited because who knows if I'll be able to give you a million dollars in four years, but I can give you 40,000 today. Right. And, and so I think yep. that uh, you totally nailed it uh, as far as understanding that, you know, we have this sort of compounding and exponential ability to have our donation grow alongside. Yeah. So I think it's incredible. And it's transparent. And, and, and you know, we, we, yeah. we, we, the, the website, uh, it's charitywater.org, charitywater.org slash Bitcoin. But you can see and you will be able to see how much we're holding how much that's worth at any given day against the dollar and the yen and the euro and uh, you know different currencies and then how many people could be served upon unlock and then there's a leaderboard where people can give anonymously pseudonymously they can use their real names to inspire others to to give uh, like like you were generous to do so you know we also wanted to gamify is not the right word but we also wanted to turn this kind of into a you know a public vehicle this isn't something that 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 you know, just kind of goes away. We want this to gain momentum and gain energy. And we also wanted to encourage small donations. I mean, there's people listening that might be able to give 0.001 Bitcoin. Sure. Okay, we'll, we'll take it. Um, you know, this isn't just for the whales. This isn't just for kind of the, you know, the massive Bitcoin holders. This is for someone that could say, I've got a hundred bucks right now. I could put that on my American Express card or I could give a hundred dollars you know, from one of my wallets in Bitcoin, and that might be worth a thousand in the future. You know, that gift, well, actually a hundred is becomes worth 200 uh, with the match and then could be worth a lot more in the future. So, you know, really this is, I think, encouraging people maybe to even make their first 
Bitcoin gift. Uh, they're, they're, you know, use Bitcoin for the first time philanthropically. And, and again, hope to prove out a, a use case for this really making an impact, healing the world, right? Ending needless suffering specific through, specifically through, through clean water and then tracking all that impact in the future. When I, I mean, you got a hell of a list of people that immediately donated. I mean, I saw on the leaderboard before I was even able to donate like Tony Hawk, Bill Miller, Barry Silbert, obviously the Winklevi twins. Winklevi, I still love that term. I know that you've received commitments from a lot of other people. Why do you think there's been yeah, that yeah. immediate and quick reception? Well, what I've heard, you know, Mike Novogratz and Pete Brigger and, you know, a bunch of other people that, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of their frustration. Oh, I made a gift to my alma mater, or a university or donor advised fund, and they sold my Bitcoin. And it was a thousand dollars, you know, and now it's thirty-five thousand or forty thousand dollars. So I, I've I've heard this frustration, and you know I think people would love to see Bitcoin be useful and go out, and you know not just maybe be a store of value, but but an actual change agent, you know, a way to go and transform people's lives, to go and meet basic needs, but you know not if it's converted to converted right now. So I think the timing is really, really important. And I just believe, you know, we'll be in such a different range in 2025 that, that I'm hoping, I mean, there's a chance that this little fund off to the side at the moment of our core business could dwarf the core business in impact, the, the, the US dollar, you know, pound euro business that, that, you know, we're still running every single day, trying to help as many people get clean water. How much money would it take to solve the clean water problem for the entire world right now? You know, it's, it's a lot of money. Um, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, but that money's out there. God, as we, you pr know, we print that mean, every day. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's, it, it, is, it is available. And, you know, it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg because you need to build the capacity of these organizations to go and, you know, the money comes first then that drives capacity building, more rigs, the ability to do more work, um, and then more money. So, you know, if you dropped $500 billion in the water sector right now, we, we couldn't absorb half a trillion dollars, um, but we can take billions. And when we take billions and billions, then more people are employed. You know, we move these countries forward. We capacitate the local organizations who are, who are just doing remarkable, inspiring, heroic, courageous work in many of these these countries. So I guess that was my next question. So you touched on it earlier, obviously, the amount of disease that comes as a result of it. It's, it's not just a matter of hydration, right? It's not a matter of just of uh, diarrhea. There's there's all these secondary effects. Children have to drop out of school. If a village that did not or a city that did not have clean water all of a sudden does not have that issue, what are the secondary effects positively uh, of that uh, occurring? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we hear amazing stories of women using that reclaimed, redeemed time to uh, to start small businesses, to be better, uh, to be social entrepreneurs, sell rice at the market, sell peanuts at the market, uh, to spend more time with their families, to lead their community groups forward. So the time savings is a really big one. When schools have clean water and access to sanitation, the, the teenage girls go back to school we'll see the rates of boys and girls level. You know, it's not uncommon to go to a school in Africa and find 70% boys, 30% girls. 
Um, you know, that's not the future that we want to see. So it, it makes an impact on education. You know, money not spent on healthcare costs is another really big one. And Scott, one of the one of the craziest kind of you know um, unlocks for me just understanding how economics work in so many of these places. I mean, I've been to Africa 55 times now. I've been to Ethiopia 31 times alone. Is that it's actually not the money for the drugs when your kid gets sick of dysentery or you know let's say cholera. It's it's the it's often the cab ride to the clinic that could be a month's sure. wages. A lot of the drugs are subsidized. So you have kids dying in remote villages that, that, that shouldn't be dying in remote villages, but they can't get the ride to the clinic because people are living on a dollar or $2 a day. And that's, and that's just, it's too expensive. So, you know, health benefits, education benefits, time as a benefit. There was an 88 page paper that came out of the United Nations that, that found every dollar invested uh, we could say every Bitcoin invested in water and sanitation yielded a four to eight X return. So imagine that, right? A, a Bitcoin put into a bunch of communities into clean water turns into four to eight when it comes to economic benefit. So water makes people healthier, but it also makes them wealthier. That's an incredible stat. And then especially when you consider the water trust and it compounding for another, you know, five years before that happens. Yep. How, how large that uh, impact can can really be. Why do you think that there's so little general awareness of how big of a problem water is? Do you think people are just sort of have blinders on or they live, you know, very insular lives we, where they're focused on what they see day to day? We take it for granted. I mean, Scott, I remember speaking once at a, at a big uh, business conference. There were 10,000 people in the room. And before me, the, uh, the founder of a big charity, uh, a cancer charity gets up. And he says, all right, audience, raise your hand if you've had cancer. So a bunch of hands goes up. Okay. He says, raise your hand if you've got a friend uh, or a family, if you have a family member that's had cancer. He's got about half the room now. He said, now what about a friend or a loved one? He has every Everyone. single hand in a 10,000 person. And then he begins his speech about cancer research and the importance. If I get up in front of a room and says, okay, how many people have had to walk seven hours for dirty water? How many of you have gotten dysentery or cholera or have gone blind with trachoma because of bad water, right? It, it's, you know, it, actually there's always a couple people because I've done this before that grew up in rural India, uh, in, in Africa, in Southeast Asia, in Central South America. And they'll come up afterwards and said, I used to walk for water. I was that girl. I went to that school. That, that didn't have clean water. But you know, for 99.9% .9 of the audience, it's just not something we experience. We experience cancer, we experience homelessness, uh, we experience needs in our local communities, but not this one. So that's why the storytelling, the awareness, you know, we've made over a thousand videos that are on the Charity Water website, trying to tell these stories, trying to, to shrink the world a little bit and, and just shine a light on this problem because one of the best things about this, Scott, is that when people understand, everybody thinks it's a good idea. I mean, nobody's told me to stop in 15 years. <laughs> you know, I don't come off a stage and have people say, Scott, you're, you know, this, this is harmful aid. Let them die of bad water. Let the women get raped, you know, on a seven hour walk to the jungle so that they can, you know, kill their kids with bad water. 
You know, no one. So whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or an Independent, you know, whether you are a person of faith, whether you find faith, you know, anathema to you, right? Everybody can agree to agree on clean water. It is a universal common good. So that's allowed us to build a really big and diverse tent uh, of, of people with very disparate views who can actually agree on this. Well, that's a rare thing. Um, it is a real sure. thing. And we actually need more of that in the world. We do. You know, and I've, I mean, we need, we need more people coming together in compassion and a spirit of generosity, a spirit of service to others and, and, and less of this, you know, contentiousness, I think. I mean, so I, I, I hope that, you know, Charity Water can be a convener often of, of, of common ground, of common good. So obviously you talk about uh, third world largely being the biggest issue for clean water, but then we hear stories like Flint, Michigan, right? Where yeah. we had contaminated water supplies yeah. and people put a uh, flame underneath their spigot or their faucet and it, you know, sparks a fire. How much of a problem is this in the, I guess, industrialized world, world if that's still a term? And uh, are there ways to address that in cities as well? Or are you primarily focused on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're focused on the developing. We we looked at Flint, Michigan, and and the you know the short answer was uh, our organization from New York with history and expertise across twenty nine rural countries just had no business yeah. kind of flying into Michigan taking donations. And what was needed was over a billion dollars of infrastructure repair, uh, government grants, state grants, FEMA. Um, it was so we wound up telling our supporters to give to a bunch of local charities who've been working in that community for many many years who had credibility, who had local context, and were meeting those needs, you know, often through bottled water in, in the short term, you know, until the remediation was made. I will say there are pockets of, um, of places in America, in Appalachia, on some of the, uh, some of the reservations to Native American communities. And, you know, if somebody's listening and is really passionate about that, there's a group called Dig Deep, digdeep.org, and they exclusively focus on the continental U.S. and 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 uh, communities without access there. So we're kind of focused on rest of the world. You know, America officially has a hundred percent water coverage, but we know that that's not true. Many of the countries where we're working, forty percent water coverage. You know, and and even that might be generous or or overreporting. So how do you identify? where you want to go next, right? I mean, obviously there's yeah, well, a problem that's around the world and it seems it's most likely a problem in places that don't have direct access to you to tell you that it's a problem. Yeah, it's a great question. And so there's a matrix. Um, first of all, we know where the 785 million people live. So there's pretty universally agreed upon data. Um, our first pass is rural, not urban. We see most of the government money, most of the big grant money hitting the cities and the towns, high population density the voters are there. It's the rural families that get left behind because there's no bundling. You can't just drop a $10 million water system in a city. You have to go dot the countryside with the appropriate solution for that community. So our first pass is rural. So that kind of takes 100 million people out that we're not looking at. Um, and then we eliminate conflict zones. We're after long-term sustainable work. So while perhaps the greatest water crisis in the world would be in a country like Yemen, um, we just don't have a proficiency of working in a war zone. Or there's, there's great orgs that do that. So we kind of then take out conflict zones. Then we take out uh, 
maybe the easiest way to say that is despotic governments who don't want any intervention or would actually meddle within and outside. So there's a few countries there that they just don't want any, any foreigners doing anything. So then that leaves like, I don't know, 45 or 50 countries. And then we start at the bottom of the development chart and we work with the poorest countries. So Malawi over Peru, um, Madagascar over Brazil, right? Which would have a much smaller population and would be much more of a middle income country. Um, you know, the, the, one of the countries we're working on in, in Rwanda, the in, just the, the entire budget of the, the country. So think roads and electricity and water and education and government is, far less than the New York City school district budget. So that's the, those are the kind of places where we're working. And, and Rwanda is actually a bright spot in our portfolio because the limited capital that the government has to invest in water, they match our dollars, 90 cents in the dollar. So Charity Water puts a million dollars into Rwanda. Uh, we get 900,000, 45% wow. from the local government and 45% from the federal. So together we have $1.9 million. So you actually see some good actors here, Scott, who are saying, we care about this issue. We wanna help our people get access to clean water, but we just don't have the resources. Most people in Rwanda are subsistence farmers. So there's not a tax base that, that, can, that can go to all these social services. What I find interesting is the point that you made about the economic impact of it, right? You give a dollar and it becomes four or five uh, secondarily because of that impact. So outside of charity, you would think that there'd be some capitalists out there who would find a way to uh, either donate or build these systems and then take advantage of that new human capital and, and unlocking that potential. Is that something that happens or is it still primarily charity driven? Yeah, there's some great uh, organizations doing investments in, in Africa that are kind of, I mean, I mean, a lot of people think this is going to be the, the, the next greatest economy. Um, there's a lot of growth potential. Um, there's, there's one group I work with called Verdant out of Austin, Texas, um, and they're investing in agriculture, in housing, uh, employing thousands and thousands. It's, it's kind of an impact investing for-profit model, and they're doing really, really well. Uh, there's entrepreneurs you know, that have kind of a version of a Y Combinator in Kenya, in Ghana, uh, working on startups. You know, many of them trying to solve the, the social issues and some of the, you know, the endemic problems in their own country. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, about it. There's some incredibly smart, incredibly talented people throughout, you know, specifically the African country, the you know, African continent in India, in Southeast Asia. It's really just getting that capital there, whether it's philanthropic dollars or whether it's investment dollars to, to move those organizations, to move their visions forward. And that's one of the best things uh, that I that I love about Charity Waters model. You know, we have only about a hundred people in New York and in London, but we employ over fifteen hundred locals in each of these countries. So there's three hundred people alone in Ethiopia. They're all Ethiopian, Scott. So this is local job creation, and they're also getting the credit. So when they're taking our Bitcoin, uh, when they're taking our our money, and they're turning that into clean water. They're operating the drilling rigs. They are the ones being celebrated. They are doing it in a culturally appropriate and sustainable way uh, with that local dynamic. It's not a bunch of people from the West parachuting in, you know, throwing on hard hats and, and barking orders, not understanding the context. So that's worked that really sense. well about our, our model, both the 
and this ability to be transparent and track dollars, but also just growing these local organizations and, and us not needing to get the credit. Yeah, I had a guest not long ago who I've become friendly with named Ray Youssef, who is Paxful. I don't know, you know, and they're uh, very passionate about uh, using Bitcoin in Africa. And he's made the claim that especially in Nigeria, where he goes often, that it's the most brilliant people and entrepreneurs that he's ever met anywhere. Basically, it sounds like everyone there is like financial MacGyver. You know, they can take uh, yeah. little things and throw things together yep. and create these incredible businesses. And as a result, Bitcoin is almost being used as its own monetary system in Nigeria by the youth of the country. Yep. Being there, yep. have you seen any of this sort of Bitcoin penetration into Africa? Or do you think that that's just not something that you've come across? Well, I, I haven't been in a year. Well, of uh, course, right. Pandemic. That's when it you would know, have happened, been, really. <laughs> yeah. Our whole business moved to Zoom. Uh, you know, Charity Water team members have just started traveling, you know, out of, out of New York and, and out of Europe. Um, so I, I, I've heard it's happening. Um, and I think, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of experimentation. I was just talking with some of the people at, at Luno. I know they've got a lot of adoption now with their wallets throughout a bunch of the, the countries. And, you know, with the Bitcoin water trust, that's another thing we didn't mention. You know, we, we intend to keep this charitable fund, this charity water fund, Bitcoin native. So I'm not imagining just turning it to us dollars in 2025. I'm going to try to spend it in Bitcoin. Um, and, and at worst, that's probably going from Bitcoin to the local currency, the Rwandan franc, the Ethiopian burr. Um, but it might be buying drilling materials, constructing water projects in Bitcoin in 2025 and beyond. And I think that's we might be able to you know, help with some of the experimentation and the adoption there as well. That's so incredibly cool. So I'm curious, I mean, this can't be easy. Right. No matter how much of a formula, no matter how asking much of a people formula, for money, asking people for Bitcoin. No, it's it's not even well, that part is very hard. But I was actually speaking logistically, like, you yeah. know, just yeah, like if you identify a place, how does this actually work? How do you go in there? How do you identify the problem? How do you identify the solution? Because as yeah. you said, it sort of seems like it's unique to each situation. It's not a one one solution fits all clearly. Well, and even the countries, there's a wide range of uh, environments and solutions. So we work with five different local partners in Uganda, in five different regions of Uganda, and the solutions are all different. So, you know, a rainwater harvesting might be, a unit might be appropriate in a rainier area um, and a deep well appropriate in another, um, or a filtration system appropriate in another. So, you know, look, Scott, I mean, we've now 15 years of experience, half a billion dollars, um, we have an amazing team. I mean, there are people that are water experts, uh, the, the charity water programs team, you know, pre COVID was like flying to the moon and back two or three times every year, just with the amount of boots on the ground travel, uh, as we work with our local partners. And then we have this amazing network that we built up over 15 years where the local expertise is there. So it's not haphazard anymore. They have three and five year plans. They know where they're going to be working three years from now which regions they've gone out and done baseline studies uh they they know what those solutions are so you know maybe in the early days 15 years ago it's like i have scott i have money for 10 wells you just go stick 10 holes yeah. in the ground <laughs> yeah. you know now it's like okay 400 you know and bundling is strategic and you know concentric circles making sure the rigs are efficient and they're not just driving out and back um so there's again at at, at scale you know, we're able to to take a much more um, maybe sophisticated approach to, to the future of this. But 
again, I just, I can't say enough about the local teams, the hydrogeologists, they are out there working with the communities. I mean, they're negotiating sometimes where to put the well. The land needs to be donated back into the community. So that needs to become neutral ground. So if the best place to put a, a well is on Scott Melker's property, right? The local partner has to go in and convince you to give that 10th of an acre back to the community and let people trample through your cabbage or right. through your corn or figure out what that path is. So there's there's hardware and then there's software. And the software is a lot harder. Uh, you know, drilling a well sometimes is the easiest part. It's the six community meetings, meetings that came before that, determining the location, who's gonna be on the water committee? Who are we trusting with the money? Because in your village, uh, you need to pay a little bit to use that well so that that money can go into a maintenance account. So when the well breaks, you know, you're not calling charity water, but everybody has in the corpus has a little bit of money to call the well mechanic to go make that repair. A, a well, just again, is one of our many technologies is just like a car. You know, your car needs an oil change. It needs the brakes checked. It needs new tires eventually. And if you take care of it, you can have a car that's 20 years old that you put a quarter of a million miles on. If you don't take care of it, uh, you got a car that's busted after five years and you know isn't worth fixing right. anymore. So a lot of time and energy is spent on that aftercare, the sustainability models to make sure that these are not stranded assets in the future. It's really interesting that when I said that uh, this is challenging, obviously the first thought in your mind was, yeah, raising money is really hard. And, and in my experience, I've seen yeah. that raising money from the Bitcoin community is very hard, not because they don't want to give, because like you said, they want to hold their Bitcoin and not give it. I've actually yeah. been down this road before and people obviously were more willing to just make a cash donation than to actually give their Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Um, well, what's been, what's been fun, Scott, actually, is a lot of people have given to this fund and then rebought the Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. um, and actually established as U.S. taxpayers establish a new cost basis at 40K, you know, so a lot of people will give us an early Bitcoin that they because uh, there's, there's a real and I'm not giving tax advice, but, you know, I've been told there's a massive tax advantage to actually do this, to give a Bitcoin, not pay any capital gains on that, take the full deduction against ordinary income. And then a bunch of people are like, well, I didn't have a Bitcoin to spare. So now I'm going to go buy it back with another asset I want to be out of or, or with cash to, to replace it. So that's just been kind that's of fun brilliant. seeing how people have been, been doing it. And of course, some people, you know, have one to spare or a 10th of one to spare or half of one to spare. So um, I think the idea of accumulating Bitcoin transparently in this fund, following the story and then following the story of impact in the years to come is, is, is hopefully going to get some people to, to do this for the first time. Yeah, the funny thing is so everybody's charity, invited. <laughs> yeah, the, the, with, with charity, people always like, I've got a little I can give or I've got something to give. Nobody ever feels like they have any Bitcoin to spare. So I'm not surprised to hear that people buy yeah. it back immediately if they if well, they donate. And we had to come up for the founding 100. We had to come up with a way where people could send cash and we would buy it for them. And right. that has been what a couple of people asked. They're like, I, I'm happy to do it. Can I send you money in cash? Can I send you money? For my donor advice fund, will you buy the Bitcoin for me? So we had to talk to KPMG and I say, what a headache a is that for now. you? That's got to be so, a huge well, headache for, for a Bitcoin. For a Bitcoin, it's 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 worth doing. Yeah. It's worth doing. You know, if it's a tenth of one, or you know, so uh, if if that's something you're interested in, in in contributing one Bitcoin but doing it in cash, we do have a way uh, to do that. Just just get in touch with us. Uh, there's a, there's a form on the website. So I'm curious. There's a, there's a lot of people out there probably who 
are now listening to this conversation or recently said water is a really big problem and are, are understanding this, but maybe yeah. don't have money to give to an organization. What can your average person do to help solve this problem without yeah, just throwing I, money I just, at it? Get informed. I mean, there's some great videos on our website. You can help just tell your friends, tell your neighbor. Um, a lot of parents watch our content with their kids. You know, they really want their, their kids to grow up understanding that, you know, it, it's a big world and not everybody has access to these basic needs that, you know, I, I was born in a middle-class family in, in Philadelphia. You know, I was born into privilege. Like I've always had a roof over my head. You know, there's, there's a fallback for me. I could go sleep on somebody's couch. Same. I've never had to drink dirty water. Um, that safety net that most of us were, were simply just born into uh, by, by no you know, choice of our own, by nothing that we did to deserve that is simply not how the 10% of the world we're trying to help uh, the situations they found themselves in. So really, you know, I think it's an encouragement to use what we've been blessed with, our time, our talent, our money, our Bitcoin, our resources to look out and say, how can we make those useful? How can we end needless suffering around the world and, you know, I believe the more you give, the more you give, you know, this, this is almost like a muscle sometimes that, you know, the more generous you are, the more generous you want to be, um, so the more true. stingy you are, the more you want to hold on. And like, you know, I was having a conversation with someone, you know, just a Bitcoin accumulation, like it's never enough. It's never enough. That's you know, I'm I think saying. getting people to think about what is enough, you know, what could I share? Do I have enough to share? with others uh, who don't even have water, you know? Don't even have water. I mean, look, we're like, you know, we're using face ID and, you know, right? Like logging on, people are probably checking their, you know, their, their Coinbase or Gemini wallets, uh, you know, 10 times a day. I mean, just think about people that are not drinking water and how we, how this community, I really believe the greatest philanthropists of the future are going to come from this community. You know, some of the, the biggest acts of healing the world, of improving people's lives are going to come from this community. So I think we're hoping to start that conversation, to start that relationship, to allow people to give a little bit now, follow the story, learn about water. Um, there, there's a volunteer button on the website. You know, we're, we're not doing any events at the moment, but we're getting back into that um, as the world reopens. And I'd say learn more, share the content, uh, volunteer, give uh, lots of different ways to, to, to get involved. Just charitywater.org or charitywater.org slash Bitcoin. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually curious just because you're out there doing this and you're fundraising constantly. Do you think that your average person is giving or do you think that most people sort of are selfish and live in their own bubble and go about their their day because like yeah i hear something like this and it's so compelling right like how can you not feel sympathy for someone without water but maybe someone's reaction is i, I don't have it that great either so whatever <laughs> um and i'm just curious you know if, if you see a trend or you know obviously i'm not asking for a judgment on all yeah. of humanity but i'm just curious i one observation scott is that i see sometimes the people who you might think have the least give the most. Mm -hmm. So some of the less fortunate donors in our communities are the people who might live the most modestly or even be worried about paying their electric bill will be giving to Charity Water every single month. 
we're faithfully giving through the pandemic. Um, maybe some of the, the richest, most, you know, the people you might think would give the most or have the most to give, right? Which would look like obvious extra, obvious surplus, um, often surprise us, you know, to be, to be quite honest. So um, I, I think, look, I, I'm an optimist. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. It's our job to tell the story and to invite people to give, to invite people to explore generosity, to, to get involved in this issue, in other issues, to get involved in their local community, uh, to exercise that generous muscle that, how can I help? I have, I have a four and a half and a six-year-old. My family motto, the thing I'm trying to teach their kids. It's funny, I didn't even know this was a thing in the Bitcoin community. I've been doing this for a long time. Is it teaching my kids to say, how can I help? So my you know four and a half year old walked down the other morning, I'm in the kitchen making breakfast. She said, daddy, how can I help? Right? Oh, you can unload the dishes. So I, you know, I, I think um, I love that. Like, I love that the simplicity of that phrase, how can I be useful? How can I bring what I have to the table? And, you know, there's a real blessing. I mean, I, I will say just, I, I have received more and more blessings from giving than from taking, than from accumulating, than from, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, putting more and more into cold storage and the treasure drives and the safes. I just think, you know, it's it's a it's a different intention, right? It's a, it's an expression that uh, that that looks to to serve others, and I'm I'm trying to invite as many people to be a part of that as possible. I agree. I love that. How can I help? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna definitely utilize that on my six year old. <laughs> Uh, it's really, really is brilliant. If I heard those words the first thing every single day, I would be a very, very happy dad. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it happens every once in a while. Try it out, Scott. I'm going to. <laughs> so, you know, what's funny. I know we're kind of going to run out of time, but you and I have By never- By the way, you can do the same thing back. Hang on. You can do the same thing back to him. So, I do. Oh, you know, he's struggling I, I, or like sitting at yeah. the art table, but for them to actually hear those words, it's great. It's like, hey, you know, my, yeah. my kid's name is Jackson. It's like, hey, Jackson, uh, how, how can I help? Oh, you can go get this for me. <laughs> now everyone's gonna send me out of the garage to get something. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely get that. That I get a lot of. I get sent around. Yes, to yes, do things yes, all yes. The time. That's not a problem, right? So you know that we never somehow dug into our history, but you know, I was DJing in clubs in New York City for that entire stretch while you were promoting. Oh my gosh, which ones? I mean, I'm, uh, literally so many, everywhere. Right? I was Lotus every Friday night. Yeah. Uh, I did Thursdays. Oh, Greenhouse, uh, Gold yep. Room, Gold Bar. Uh, yep, dude, yep. I was everywhere, everywhere. One Oak, you know, uh, 10 June, yep. the, the whole uh, thing. So, so I, Charity Water launched at 10 June, a week before they opened. So our, our, our origin party, September 7th, 8th, um, was at 10 June and they donated the club. They gave open bar and we raised $15,000 in cash that night. And we built our first few projects in Uganda. And now there's you know sixty thousand projects around the world. So that was uh, that was kind of a cool turn of events. And you know now we don't do anything with with clubs really. But it was I knew fun you looked kind familiar, and I'm sure that you've uh, rejected me at yeah. the rope oh my one God. or two times. No, no, no. Come on, DJ. Audience. We always love the DJs. DJs went but, everywhere. But they, I'm they sure got to we go have they wanted. all the same friends, you know. And I'm sure that we cross paths, which is just a very kind of funny thing. It's absolutely wow. amazing. And there's a lot yeah, of those people I, I are Bitcoiners now. A lot of those people are Bitcoiners yep. now, I've found, especially the DJs. How cool. 
Awesome. So listen, uh, I know we're here. So where can everybody find you? How can everybody sign up? How can everybody give? And what what can we sure. all do to make this fund, this Bitcoin trust? Yeah, yeah. So Chaired, I, I mean, tell tell people about it. I think, you know, we've got about 140 people have given so far. You know, like I said, we're, we're going to be close to unlocking that 50 Bitcoin match. Um, so we need help. We, we do need your participation. Um, maybe if it's not you, you know someone else who would love this. So send them the podcast, send them a link to the website, um, charitywater.org slash Bitcoin, or just charitywater.org. And you can learn more. Um, you know, we have other people send other tokens. I mean, we're, we're kind of, this is a Bitcoin trust. This is the only thing we're going to hodl, but we'll take anything. I mean, you know, you want to give us a car and turn it into clean drinking water. We'll figure out how to do that. So That's we awesome. we're really, we're just so focused on this mission, uh, being transparent, uh, running, you know, a high integrity organization. And, and again, we believe the best is yet to come. And, you know, I would just invite people to learn more about this issue. It's solvable. I mean, it's like the basic thing you need to have a good life to thrive. You need clean water. And yet a staggering amount of people simply don't have it. And we know how to help. So um, thanks for the just allowing me to share the story and, and to invite people to to be a part of this. And I'm just I'm just Scott Harrison on on Twitter and, and Instagram, although Instagram is more family kids, yeah. kids stuff. I, I heard so many times at the conference in Miami that yours was the best uh, best speech that, that people had heard, which yeah, was so surprising kind of... because there was so much Bitcoin content and this wasn't. And like yeah. I said, you had me immediately. So, um, and I think a lot awesome. of people had that. Thank had you that for your generosity and, yeah. and for participating. And, and I know you, um, you just deeply care. You know, uh, I, I deeply care about this stuff. So I appreciate your your help and well, your I'm support. I'm coming to Uganda with you next year. We're doing that. Awesome. Yep. You're in, you're invited. Awesome. Well, thank cool, you again. Man. And we will follow up soon. And I'm going to keep uh, pushing this through to the community. But I think that this is going to be just uh, exceptionally well received. And people are going to be excited to hear it. Awesome. Thanks for the thank opportunity. You.